0: In a few moments, we'll be looking in Acts chapter 9 as we continue our series on the Acts of the Apostles. But before we do, take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 18. This will be a mini-message on the very subject that Tricia was just singing about. We find recorded that Abraham receives visitors that tell him good news. That he was going to be the father of a great nation. The Bible tells us of these visitors in Acts, or excuse me, in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 16. And the men rose up from thence and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. And we know that that blessing is through who? The Lord Jesus Christ. The one who died on the cross and shed his blood. Was buried and rose again. That whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So that out of every nation and tribe and kindred. God will redeem to himself those who will place their faith in his son. And the Lord said... Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great. This is verse 20. And because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it which has come unto me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, and this is prayer, folks. He's speaking to the Lord. He's talking to Yahweh. He's talking to the God of God of Israel, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he prays, peradventure there be 50 righteous within the city. Wilt thou destroy and not spare the place for 50 righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do this after the manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee. Shalt not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And then over the next few verses, Abraham keeps uh, reducing that number from 40 to 30 to 20 and then we pick it up where he says in verse 32 and oh let not the Lord be angry and I will speak yet but this once peradventure there be found 10 be found there and he said I will not destroy it for ten's sake and yet what did God do? God rained down fire and brimstone upon Sodom and Gomorrah Did anybody happen to notice what the verse was on the road sign out in front this week? It's taken from the Psalms. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Can I ask you this? Is the Lord Jesus Christ the God of America? When we see all kinds of perversion being promoted, all kinds of greed, so many power struggles... It's very hard for us to see through that haze of all of the ungodliness and wickedness. To see that God may be our God, the God of this nation. And yet I find hope in this passage in Genesis chapter 18 because God said if there were ten righteous within the city, I would spare it. And praise God that there are churches like ours all across this nation. Who are meeting right now this morning. To worship before God, to open up their hearts, to obey the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the word of God that their lives may be transformed into the image of Christ. There are churches that they may dot their I's and cross their T's a little bit differently than we do, but they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and souls are being saved. And God is still doing a work in America and we rejoice in that. But Abraham interceded because, I believe, of Lot and his family for Sodom and Gomorrah, for God's mercy on them. And let us not forget that from this story of Sodom and Gomorrah that we understand that God is indeed a God of justice, a God of righteousness. He is a God of patience. This was not something he just did out of hand. This was according to his divine plan upon a wicked and rebellious people. And yet God listened to the pleadings of Abraham and God answered him. And so this morning before we turn to Acts chapter 9 and look at the mighty power of God in the life of the Apostle Paul, I want us to stop and to pray for our country But before I do, there are are several things I want to remind you as a Christian and as a citizen of the United States of America. First of all, we do owe our allegiance to this country. We owe our gratitude to God for this country. This is still the greatest nation on earth. We enjoy freedom here unlike any other nation in the world. God has allowed us to prosper. We enjoy much of what the rest of the world only dreams about. We have at our disposal all kinds of powerful tools which we can use for the advancement of the kingdom of God. So let me encourage you to be praying for our nation this week. Let me encourage you to be salt and light. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew that we are the salt of the earth. Remember, not only that salt was for flavoring, but one of the primary uses in Bible times was for the preservation of meat from corruption he said, I'm just one Christian at my job. I'm one Christian in my neighborhood. I'm one Christian with the only Christian in my extended family. How can I make any difference? But remember that you don't cure a pound of meat with a pound of salt. That it only takes a little bit of salt to preserve from corruption a big old chunk of meat. And you need to be salt where you are. Not, folks, primarily for the redemption of our country but for the redemption of souls we can't save anybody but we can live an example of a life that's been transformed by the powerful grace of God when he saved us we can share the love and the compassion of Christ through serving our fellow workers our employees people in our community people that are in our neighborhoods our extended family and we can share, as God would open up that opportunity, the gospel of Jesus Christ, sharing our testimony of salvation, handing out gospel tracts, spreading that glorious gospel of Christ. We're not only called to be the salt, we're also called to be light. But let me also encourage you, our hope is not in our nation. Our hope is not in a political party. Our hope is not in policies. As much as I love our military, our hope is not in our military. Our hope is in our God who can work through our military, who can work through our politicians, who can work through many different means. But let's make sure we're keeping our hope on God. And let's remember that ultimately we are citizens of God's eternal kingdom. And may God give us grace and compassion to be faithful witnesses and testimonies and citizens within this great country and within this time which God has placed us Shall we pray, and then we'll turn to Acts chapter 9 for our second message. Our Father, this morning we humbly come before your throne of grace. We realize that when Solomon dedicated the temple in the context of his prayer, in 2 Chronicles 14, that he was praying for the nation of Israel. And your promise that if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land we say see that played out through the old testament as when israel would sin and you would judge them and they would confess and forsake their sin and turn back to you that you would begin to heal them and restore them as a nation and lord we pray for our great nation this great nation from which many missionaries have been sent in which there are many christian colleges and universities training young people for life and ministry have been established even now Christian camps that we have to minister to our youth and not just here but even abroad in other countries. We pray, Lord, for the blessing of the spread of the gospel and for the furtherance of your kingdom. But Lord, while we love our missionaries and we love missions and we want to see the kingdom of God expanded all across the world and we are thankful that we are part of your kingdom that no matter where we go in this world, when we find a brother or sister in Christ, we find that wonderful common bond and fellowship in Christ. We're so So very thankful for that. But help us, Lord, while we are looking to spread the gospel through the rest of the world to not neglect our own backyard. Lord, please impress upon us as believers the importance of being Christ-like, godly, upstanding citizens, not only of the United States of America, but of your kingdom. Help us to both represent our country and our kingdom well. And now as we look into Acts chapter 9 and we see the work that you are doing in the Apostle Paul's life, would you transform us through truth? May we see through his story things in our story and and the work and the change that you want to bring in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, we're actually going to be looking at this kind of like a play. So we're going to have several acts and several intermissions. And the reason I'm doing that is, is to encourage you to understand that there are sometimes phases in our Christian life. You know, when, 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 you're, when your children are growing up, they go through phases, right? We know these as more, probably more accurately spiritual battles <laughs> or areas of spiritual growth, which are struggles, But we know that there are phases in our lives. We know that God is leading us. The Bible says that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. And God is orchestrating each one of our stories. And I want us to see today from the Apostle Paul's story that there are sometimes acts. There are certain things that God is doing and there are also intermissions that God strategically places in our lives. Even in the intermissions though, we're not supposed to completely just take it easy and do nothing for the Lord But there are times when God wants us to rest and he wants us to study and he wants us to be rejuvenated and he wants to re-strengthen and re-equip us to go back into the battle. So look with me, if you would, in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 19. We're going to see Act 1 in verses 19 to 22. The Bible says, And when he had received meat, this is right after, remember, Ananias came and said, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. And he received his sight again. Verse 19, when he received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is this not he that destroyed them which called on his name in Jerusalem? And came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus. Proving that this is very Christ. First act, Saul's transformation. First of all, look at this transformation. He's fellowshipping with the people that he was once seeking to destroy. He had come to Damascus with his armed guards, with the temple police, with the authority, with papers, official papers from the Sanhedrin, that when he would go to Damascus and he would find the Jewish community there. That those Jews who had believed on Christ that he would arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem, be found guilty before the Sanhedrin. Then Paul, who was part of the Sanhedrin, but was also a Roman citizen, would use his Roman citizenship as influence to persecute and even seek for the death sentence for many of these believers. Now he's fellowshipping with them. Does not that speak to the incredible transformation that he now fellowships with the people that he once sought to destroy? proclaims Jesus Christ to be the son of God. One writer said this, we have no right to keep to ourselves the great treasures that we have discovered, but must copy the lepers of 2 Kings chapter 7. Do you remember that story the Syrians had surrounded the city? Terrible, terrible things, mothers were killing their children and eating them. Cannibalism was taking place. They were starving. They were about to give up all hope. But God sent a great noise that scared off the whole Syrian army at night. There were some lepers. These lepers are starving to death. And These lepers said, well, if we go in the city, well, they're not going to accept us in the city. We have no resources where we are. Let's just go to the camp of the Syrians. And, 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 and if they're merciful to us and they give us some food... Maybe they'll throw some food at us from a distance and we can grab it and run off and we'll be okay. And if they kill us, they kill us. But we're going to die anyway. Let's just go and and throw ourselves on the mercy of the Syrians. And they go and what do they find? Man, there's food everywhere. All of the stuff of the Syrians was abandoned overnight. They heard this great noise of an army and they panicked and they fled in the middle of the night. And man, and what do these lepers do? Man, they began to just chow down. They're having a feast and they're beginning to gather up some of the valuables and take them back uh, to to their places where they lived. And then it dawns on them, wait a minute. There's a whole city right there starving to death. We're not doing right. We need to go, we need to tell the people of the city that all of this food is here, that all of this wealth is here. All of this awaits them. And so they go and they holler to the sentries at the gates of the city and they tell them uh, what's going on. And then, of course, the king then sends out some uh, kind of a search party to make sure that this is accurate. And sure enough, it is as the prophet had declared to the king that they would be feasting the next day. And, of course, the people come out of Jerusalem and they're stampeding, heading out to the army of the Syrians and their needs. Are met and actually they also gain not just their needs met, but great spoil. Hey, folks, we have the treasure of the gospel, Paul writes, in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Folks, the greatest need of mankind is cleansing from sin and eternal life. And we have that message and we can share that message. And you say, but I'm just little old me, and, and, and I'm not very good at sharing the gospel. Folks, they get good at sharing the gospel because it's the most important message that you can ever share. And even if you're imperfect and even if you stumble over yourself and even if you mess up, you know what? The Holy Spirit of God can override that and can use that. Now that's not an excuse for laziness. You need to be as well prepared as you can, but don't wait until you feel you're prepared until you get started. It was like that way in seminary. Ad guys that I studied with at BJ that I believe were becoming professional students. You know why? Because they were afraid to get out in the ministry because they said, I'm not completely prepared yet. And they kept studying and studying, preparing degrees and preparing degrees. Well, I grew up in evangelism. I kind of knew a little better than that. And so I got some preparation. I said, I can get more preparation on the battlefield, but I'm going to get out in the battle because there are certain things you've got to learn by doing and certain things you've got to face. And man, I got out in the battle. And you know what? Sure. (laughs) Everybody in the ministry has battle scars. They also have glorious war stories, too. And God's done some amazing things, and I'm so, so grateful for that. But don't wait until you feel that you are so completely prepared. Start now. And while you're sharing the gospel, get better at it. But don't keep back the incredible news of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. He proclaims Jesus to be the Son of God. Because he was part of the Sanhedrin, he would have been expected when he came to Damascus to stand up on the Sabbath and preach in the synagogue. And so you know what he does? He used that platform. guys remember Tim Tebow? Tim Tebow said, hey, God's given me professional sports as a platform to proclaim the gospel. As long as God gives me that platform, I'm going to proclaim the gospel. Well, the Apostle Paul is doing the same thing. Here he was, a respected member of the Sanhedrin. There were letters, and so the people in those synagogues at Damascus would have known that Paul was coming, saw it was coming, and when he got up to preach, they would have been ready to hear what he had to say. Here's a man who was zealous above his peers, who was one of those Pharisees that even amongst his peers, he was considered blameless. I mean, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. They're going to listen to him. And what's he do? He preaches Christ, the very one he had been persecuting. What an incredible blessing. Hey, folks, what platform has God given you from which you can proclaim the gospel? As God has given you talents and abilities and skills and opportunities and resources, use those as a means for the ministry of the gospel. His conversion itself is a witness. Look at verse 21. All that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them that called on his name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest? His very conversion to Christ was a gospel message. He used his knowledge of the Old Testament. Look at verse 22. But Saul increased more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt in Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. There's a distinction here because he's preaching in the synagogues. Then it's talking about him speaking more broadly in Damascus. So it's most likely that he was speaking to Hellenistic Jews. But what he was doing was that he was comparing. The verb proving in verse 22 is a word that means to bring out and to put together The idea is to compare and to examine the evidence and so prove. And so that's what Paul's doing. He takes them to the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah and he shows them and he compares them with the life and the ministry and the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And just like Stephen, whose death he witnessed, whose official approval he gave for the first Christian martyr to be killed. Stephen also confounded the Jews that Christ is Messiah. They could not refute it. And isn't it amazing? At one point, here's Saul. He is taking the garments and watching over the garments of the witnesses, those whose testimony condemned Stephen. And he's giving official approval and participation in Stephen's stoning. And now, just like Stephen had confounded them from the Old Testament scriptures by comparing the Old Testament scriptures and prophecies of Messiah with the Lord Jesus Christ, they could not refute it. So now, Paul, Saul, is preaching this irrefutable evidence of Messiah. And then we see the first intermission in verse 23. The Bible says, and after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. So after many days were fulfilled. This is Saul's trip to Arabia. We find this in Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them that were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. So after some days, so what happens is, is that, that after some days of, of Saul teaching and preaching, he leaves and goes into Arabia, and then he comes back. About two, this intermission is about two to three years. I believe that during this time, uh, he is studying the Old Testament. He, he is meditating on these things. The Spirit of God is teaching him. God is beginning to develop him for that future ministry ministry. And I believe that while he is in Arabia, that he's also sharing the gospel there. But I believe that this was a time of preparation for him. This is a massive change. Saul is still kind of processing through all of this change and what this means. Remember that his understanding of the Old Testament was completely transformed when he came to Christ. And so now he is studying out that Old Testament scripture. He is is spending time in fellowship with the Lord. He is finding brethren in in Arabia, I believe. And he is is growing in Christ. And he is ministering and learning how to minister in that time. And then we see Act 2, verses 23 to 25. Look at verse 24 and 25. But they are laying, and after many days were fulfilled, verse 23, the Jews took counsel to kill him. This is in Damascus. He comes back to Damascus and he's proving that this is very Christ. So when he first preached in Damascus, he is preaching in the synagogues, then he leaves and he's gone into Arabia. When he comes back, he comes back to Damascus and he is proving Christ and he is comparing from the Old Testament scriptures and he is preaching all this. Well, of course, the Jews that had not converted aren't going to like this, and so they seek to kill him. In verse 25 then the Damascus then the disciples took him Uh, by night and led him down the wall in a basket so he picks up where he left off he comes back to Damascus and he and he picks up in the ministry of the gospel from the things that he had learned God was using and equipping him he comes back to Damascus part of God's plan and he begins to preach this and then of course they seek to kill him and the other disciples help him to escape over the wall God is providing, and we see here in evidence, of God's divine protection upon Saul. You know, it is not necessarily that our lives are at risk when we proclaim the gospel, but sometimes our popularity is, or a promotion at work might be. It might cost us to serve Christ. And sometimes we are afraid to speak up and proclaim the gospel when we should. To take a gracious, humble, but godly stand for the truth and not compromise with error. Or not compromise our testimony for Christ by not living according to the scriptures. But Paul, he was threatened with his very life. So if God can divinely protect Saul, who later became the apostle Paul, from death and preserved him because he had ministry for him, cannot God preserve and provide for us. So we does that not give us a, a new freedom and a confidence to be bold in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It should. Then look in, in, Acts, in, in Acts chapter nine, verses 26 to 29. Here's Act three, Saul's trip to Jerusalem. Beginning in verse 26, the Bible says, And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the disciples, apostles, and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. So here's act three. Saul does not find immediate acceptance with the disciples that are in Jerusalem. He had no letters of commendation from other believers. He did not have a fellow disciple that came with him. So now here he is in Jerusalem wanting to become a part of this. Uh, one, One writer said this, at this point, some people might turn their back on Jesus Christ. They might say, I've been serving the Lord for three years, preaching Jesus Christ, and during assassination attempts and death threats, now you don't want to accept me as a Christian? Is this the love of Jesus? Forget it. But Saul had a greater heart of love for Jesus and Jesus' followers. No doubt it hurt. But he understood that the disciples in Jerusalem remembered the Christians Saul had had killed or persecuted If the disciples in Jerusalem lacked a little in love, Saul added a little more love to make up for it. You know what amazes me is how little sometimes it takes. And I'm not going to use the word to offend because how the world uses the word offend and the biblical term for not being an offense are two different things. You see, Paul, for instance, in Romans, he writes and he says, look, if meat makes my brother to offend, I will eat no meat while the world standeth, lest I cause my brother to, to offend. The idea there is to stumble, all right, to violate their conscience. And so Paul says, look, my, the, the freedom and the liberty that I have in Christ, I will limit that in order to not cause another believer to stumble in some way spiritually. My love for them dictates that the the freedom or the liberties I have to do certain things can be restricted so that they can walk with God more freely. As Saul's here in Jerusalem, he's not wanting to be easily offended, but it must have hurt. But you know, sometimes people get upset because they don't get their way. They don't like how something's being done in a church. They don't like what somebody else is doing in a ministry within a church. And I'm not thinking of anything specific here at Berean. Okay. I'm just saying I've seen this over the years and anybody that's been a full time ministry in church ministry understands this and has seen this. Sometimes people very get very easily offended. They get their feelings hurt. And the sad thing is that they don't just leave a church. They leave church altogether. Instead of going to that pastor and entreating him as a father, which is the biblical admonition, and humbly entreating that pastor and the spiritual leadership about their concern, instead of practicing Matthew chapter 18 and going to that brother or sister in Christ that has sinned against them, rather than face the difficulty and the pain of going through the process of confrontation, forgiveness, and healing they would just leave that church. But it's sad that sometimes Satan will use that as an opportunity not just to disconnect that Christian or that family from that church family, but from any church family. And they are hurting themselves because God has designed us as a part of the body. And when you sever a finger, it not only limits the body, but that finger... What happens to that finger? It withers, it dies. It has no function on its own. And God did not intend us to be isolated from one another. But to minister to one another to serve one another there are biblical principles and commands in how we are to forgive one another how we're to restore one another how we can appeal to the leadership within a local church body when we believe that there is something that's not right that's going on but i think that if the apostle paul was not offended because the disciples at jerusalem were still afraid of him because of the persecution even though it'd been three years even though he had great would have had a great testimony at damascus there were people in arabia that would have known him they did not know him at jerusalem for the transformed person that he was sometimes also when a person has been confronted in their life by the spirit of god with some area of their life that needs to change and they begin to change other people kind of doubt them maybe they've broken trust maybe they have sinned in, in a pattern uh, and, and, and they, and there, there's been much hurt and much damage caused by that habitual practice of sin. And that person repents and, and they get right and they want to start doing right. And they're seeking for restoration. And yet, you know what? Trust brokenness, is not easily restored. It's not quickly restored. And one of the signs of true repentance is a, a contrite spirit. That, like the apostle Saul, Paul, who was here, Saul, say, "Hey, I understand. I, you know, I used to persecute these people. I used to murder Christians or, or try to seek them to get uh, to to be executed or persecuted. I understand why it would take them." of wilder, trust me, I get that. And so, you know, if that's been something in your life, whether it is in a marriage relationship or a family or something else, and, and there is trust that's been broken because of sin on your part and you have truly repented and you're being contrite, have the, take this example from the Apostle Paul that you be very understanding. I understand that trust is not immediately restored. I get it. And I am willing to go through that slow process process of restoration and of healing where trust can be rebuilt the relationship can be healed god can be glorified i'm not just going to say you're not going to trust me you don't believe god's really doing a work in my heart well then fooey with you i'll just go somewhere else no 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 stick it out be faithful don't don't jip yourself don't rob yourself of the process, of the lessons that God wants to take you through. Humble yourself and let God transform you. But look at this. Look at Barnabas, the son of encouragement. The Bible says that Barnabas, in verse 27, took him. That word, to take, literally means to lay a hold of. So Barnabas saw the situation. Barnabas means son of consolation or encouragement, and he sees Saul, and he, and he goes to him. He, he literally so he seeks after him to lay hands on him. He sought after him. He got a hold of him. He's like, man, sit down. Tell me your story. What has God done? I want to hear this. Apparently, he somehow got news that, that Saul wanted to visit with the apostles. He wanted to be part of the church in Jerusalem. And while everybody else is kind of standing back, afraid, and, and for good reason, and Saul is just patiently waiting, God honored Saul's patience and brought forth Barnabas. And folks, God wants all of us to be Barnabas' sons, daughters of encouragement, consolation. And they listened to Saul, and they heard what God had done. And as he began to talk with Saul and hear the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart and the mouth speaketh. And as he's speaking with Saul, he is hearing what, what God is doing. And he, and he identifies the calling of God and the filling of the spirit that, that are upon Saul. And so he takes him and brings him before the apostles at a great risk to his own personal reputation and testimony with the, with the Jerusalem church. He takes that risk out of love for Christ because he believes that God did the work. And so, folks, just like a minute ago, I was talking about when somebody has sinned and they have confessed that and they want to get right and they're starting to seek reconciliation. Yes, we don't immediately restore trust. There is a process, a proper process, but we should be willing, like Barnabas, to encourage and to have patience and endurance and go through that process of helping that person to be restored and take that risk. Barnabas takes Saul to see Peter and James, fellow apostles, Galatians 1, 18 and 19. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days, a little over two weeks. But of the other apostles saw I none save James, the Lord's brother. So he has multiple meetings with Peter over these two weeks. He meets at least once with James, the apostle, the Lord's brother. These are very influential men within Christianity. And he meets with them. They have fellowship together. Um, he debates the Hellenistic Jews at Jerusalem, just like he had done at Damascus. Like Stephen, his, his, Stephen, his preaching is, is irrefutable. Um, and, and again, they're going to seek after his death. Look with me in verses 29 and 30. The Bible says, He spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed with the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. This is at Jerusalem, which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. So this is the second intermission. This is Saul's trip home. Saul was from Tarsus. He spent about 10 years in Tarsus before we hear from him again. In chapter 11, it picks it up again. When Barnabas goes after him and says, hey, you need to come with me. God's doing a work in Antioch. I want you to be with me and minister with me. Right, So why was this? Well, I I love what David Guzik said. He said he was Saul of Tarsus, young, successful, energetic rabbi. Then he was Saul the persecutor, then Saul the blind. He became Saul the convert and then Saul the preacher. Yet before he became Paul the apostle, he spent somewhere around 10 years as Saul the unknown. These were not wasted years. These were good and necessary years. Again, these are years where I believe that he was still doing ministry, but God was working in his life and was teaching him and developing him for the rest of this ministry. Hey, young people, be patient with the work that God is doing in your life. It may be that some of you graduated from college and you're like, I want to get on with life. I want to have a family and I want to serve God. And you're like, and I can't find, and, and there's, God hasn't brought a, a suitable marriage mate into my life yet. I want to get married. I want to start a family. I want to get out. I want to do ministry. And that is important. And those are good desires. Or you say, but I want to advance in this career because if I can get in this occupation, maybe God can use this as a mission field in my life and I want to get on with this thing and that thing and really have an impact for Christ there. And and I'm still at home. And I'm still here. I'm faithfully serving and I'm growing. Hey folks, young people, be patient. God's doing a work in your life. And sometimes it takes a lot of preparation for an impactful ministry but the three years that he spent in Arabia and the 10 years that he spent in Tarsus were years that were well invested in preparation for the rest of his ministry. Look at the impact that God had for Paul, for the church, for the gospel, down to the present age. Look how many of the epistles divinely inspired books of the scripture God used the apostle Paul to write the churches that God used the apostle Paul to plant and to establish it was well worth the investment and maybe some of you maybe even years ago said Lord I believe maybe you'll have me to be a missionary I just got a newsletter I get this newsletter from a guy brother Harrison he's down in Bolivia and uh when he was uh during, during his working years, he worked for Ford Motor Company up in Detroit. Uh, he was part of a good uh, fundamental Bible preaching church, and they would take consistent mission trips down to Bolivia. And He would go, didn't know a lick of Spanish, just went down, served the Lord, had a blast fell in love with the Bolivian people, began to develop a burden for him. Year after year, he would go down. Year after year, he would say, Lord, I would love to be a missionary, but God just had events in his life that kept him where he was. But during that time, God was using those events to prepare him for an incredible ministry of missions. When he retired from Ford Motor Company, with his pension, he was able to fully financially support himself as a missionary. He was a master mechanic, And so he is able to have a wonderful ministry. They have a bus ministry. Uh, Krista and I can tell you about when we rode the bus. We had a lot of fun. He would teach them little words of English. Like, let's go and let's ride the bus. bus. And uh, I had so much fun with that. And you know what? He would gather men and women, boys and girls, teenagers, and get them on the bus. And he would drive them to church and preach the word of God. He now teaches in a seminary for Bolivian men to be trained to be pastors of churches that he has planted. Here's a guy, he would just tell you, I was just a simple mechanic, Ford Motor Company in Detroit for all those years. But in all of those 40 plus years, God was developing in me what I needed to have for my ministry now. The guy has so much energy. The guy... (laughs) His energy, his enthusiasm, his ministry belie his age. God has been so good to him in that. Why do I tell you this? Because maybe some of you have had a heart for some ministry. It might be an orphanage ministry, a rescue mission. It might be mission field or some other ministry. And you say, God has not opened the doors for that yet. But maybe God is doing with you what he did with Saul of Tarsus. That you are in a place, not just to be in a holding pattern, but you are in continual training for what God has in preparation for you for that time of fulfillment. And remember, it is not the extent of years that God gives you in full-time ministry that's important. It is what God does in those years of ministry that God gives you. You can go to the mission field when you're 75 years old. God can use you for five years and you can make an incredible, eternal impact for the kingdom of God in those last five years. It doesn't have to be on a foreign field. It could be a ministry here at Berean Baptist Church. Maybe there's something that God has worked in your heart and you'd say, man, I would love to reach our community with this kind of a ministry. Come and see me. Share with me your passion and your vision for ministry. Let's see what we can do to facilitate that in you. Let's find out what other Christians have that same burden uh, and enthusiasm for that particular type of ministry to maybe reach a a, a certain uh, group of people or certain interest or a certain need. And use that as a tool for the sake of the gospel or to edify other believers. Come and see me. Let me know. We'll find them. And we'll formulate a team and we'll get a ministry established and we'll support you and encourage you and equip you to do that ministry. You're never too old to serve God. It's never too late. But don't get discouraged if you say, man, I would love to do this. God just hasn't let me do it yet. We'll serve God right now in whatever capacities he allows you to. And be thankful for those But be patient. Maybe God is yet going to fulfill that desire of your heart for whatever that ministry may be. Or he may fulfill it in a completely different way. That was Saul's second intermission. But then look at the closing scene. We've had several acts. We've had a couple of intermissions. Now here is the closing scene. Look at verse 31. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, And we're edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. We're multiplied. You know, Saul's mission to persecute the way was not taken up by another as zealous as he. Isn't that interesting? That God turned one of the greatest enemies of the early church into one of its greatest proclaimers and leaders. And preachers. And yet there was not another, at least at that time, that took Saul's place within the Sanhedrin or within Judaism to, in the same violent and zealous way, persecute the church. Saul himself now, instead of persecuting, is promoting the gospel and encouraging believers as they co-labor together for the sake of the gospel. The disciples continued to grow stronger spiritually, being indoctrinated, equipped, and trained the disciples' reverence for the Lord increased as their knowledge and fellowship with him grew. The reverence, this reverence influenced the disciples to walk circumspectly, to walk carefully in a godly manner. They were walking in the Spirit, enjoying the comfort of the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. Matthew Henry said, The persecutions were stayed. The professors of the gospel walked uprightly and enjoyed much comfort from the Holy Ghost in the hope and peace of the gospel. And others were won over to them. They lived upon the comfort of the Holy Ghost, get this, not only in the days of trouble and affliction, but in days of rest and prosperity. And then I love this closing statement. He says, those are most likely to walk cheerfully who walk circumspectly. They were walking in the joy of being filled with the Spirit of God, in fellowship with the brethren, they were being strengthened, they were growing, they were being equipped, and the church itself was growing as their ministry began to grow. You know, sometimes as a pastor, and especially one who'd been an evangelist, who had a real passion for the gospel, and still has, sometimes it can be easy for me to get a little impatient and say, all right, church, why are we not reaching more people with the gospel? If we are all here, born-again believers, we are part of this church, whether as regular attenders or members, even outside of that fact, if you're part of the body of Christ because you're saved, does God not expect you to be a faithful, consistent witness? Yeah. And you know... Some of you really are, and I'm so grateful for that. More of you need to get with it. Because our time is short. And God has poured so much into you through the blessing of Pastor Sweat's ministry over the years, for the blessing of other faithful preachers and teachers of the Word of God that have been in and through and a part of this church ministry. And we are responsible as stewards for what God has taught us and entrusted to us and how He's equipped us. But I would say this to those of you who are faithful out planting and watering the seed of the gospel. Don't be discouraged. We are in spiritual war. God's timing is not our timing. God is doing a work. You be faithful. God will save souls. And when God saves souls, that's not where the Great Commission stops. We are to then teach them according to the word of God. Encourage them to take that step of believer's baptism to publicly identify with Christ and to publicly commit, I'm going to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, submitting to the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And then we equip them for life and ministry. Be faithful in that. Don't be discouraged because maybe you're not seeing as it is easy for anybody to get discouraged, say, "Why, why, are we, why have we not recovered in our numbers from where we were before COVID? Because God's plan was COVID. And God's plan is there are people that have had to leave because job transfers, other things that have come up where they can no longer be a part of Marine Baptist Church." And we can speculate on that all day and we can strategize on that all day. But at the end of the day, what we ought to be doing is seeking God's face in prayer and be faithful to minister to one another and to preach and proclaim the gospel and to reach out with the gospel. Because you know what, folks? When it comes to unsaved people, the woods are full of them. There's a lot of people that need the gospel. And brothers and sisters that need to be encouraged and strengthened. And so let me encourage you to be faithful. And while we have the blessing of God, as God begins as God begins to rebuild and strengthen our church, as the ministries at Berean Baptist Church become more effectual, it only happens through the faithful prayer and service of God's people. But at the end of the day, it is all in vain, unless the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, is the one doing the work. So we must rely on Him. But when God begins to prosper, and when God is doing a work... Let's rejoice in it. Let's be thankful for that. Let's enjoy it, but let's not get complacent. Let's stay faithful. For you know what? The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And that, folks, could be today. Let's bow our heads. The invitation this morning is simply this. If you have never placed your faith only in Jesus Christ and accepted personally the gift of forgiveness of sin and salvation by believing that Christ's sacrifice on the cross was for you and on your behalf, If your faith is in your moral character, in religious good works, in a philosophical belief system, then you've never come to know God's salvation. For salvation is only through faith in Jesus Christ. As many as received him, Jesus Christ, to them gave he power or authority, the right to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, Jesus' name. So my first admonition to you is if you've not Put your faith only in Jesus Christ. Or if you're confused about these spiritual matters of where your soul would spend eternity, would you just invite God to shine the truth in your understanding and ask God to show you his way of salvation and to make clear these things? Would you even ask God to give you the courage after the service to come to one of us who could take the word of God and show you the way of salvation, if you say, well, I think I'm saved, but I'm not sure, then talk to somebody and leave with the wonderful comfort of assurance that God wants you to have, that you know you're his child. Your sins are forgiven. Your eternity is settled forever with him. Brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe there is something else from the message this morning where God has spoken to your heart. We see the apostle Paul and his life. We see Maybe some familiar things reflected in our own lives or some needs that the Spirit of God addressed this morning. Would you, even in the quiet of our invitation time this morning, respond to the Spirit of God? Let's stand with our heads bound. If you have a need and you'd like to come and pray, the altar is open. Come and kneel and pray. If you'd like to find the way of salvation, please come to the front and see me. I'll have someone take the Word of God, take you to a quiet, private place, and show you from the Word of God the wonderful good news of salvation. And they can help you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior today. And you can leave here rejoicing, knowing your sins are forgiven, knowing you have eternal life. If you're a believer and you say, I need some counseling from the Word of God today, or I'd just like someone to pray with me over a specific issue, please come and let one of the pastors know that. We'd be glad to have that ministry with you this morning. As our pianist begins to play, would you come?